Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And here comes a stoppage in play because someone has run on the field with a smoke bomb that is pink and he's running up the sideline now a couple of rams come over there and make the tackle head first into the player who has taken the field and he's in a cloud of pink smoke so you can't see him and now on him are a couple of security guards that guy is headed into the slammer Yes, indeed. To the slammer he went. Chris is also in the slammer. Chris has been placed under arrest for excessive profanity. Actually, we're having technical difficulties. I assume there is excessive profanity happening as he understands and realizes that we can't hear him. He can hear me. We can't hear him. At any given moment, though, he will be arriving once we get Chris's audio working. If he worked on Mondays, then the studio in which he sits would have the audio issues already fixed and good to go for him to join us on Tuesday. So it's on him, as I'm sure he hears every word I'm saying. All right, let's get to it. PFT Live presented by Google Pixel, Peacock, Sirius XM85, tape-delayed basis, Sky Sports NFL podcast audience. Hello and welcome to all of you. Thank you for your patience throughout the course of the day while you wait for the files to show up. Some days it takes a little longer than others. That's okay. It's worth the wait. Unless it isn't. Last night, Monday Night Football, worth the wait if you were waiting for a fairly exciting primetime game, an unexpected outcome. The 15th game of the weekend, for the first time ever, folks, 15 times in one weekend, was a game within one score in the fourth quarter. 15 out of 16. The only game that wasn't the Sunday night game on NBC between the Chiefs and the Bucks. Every other game at some point in the fourth quarter was a one score game. And Joe Buck mentioned that last night. We had written something yesterday on PFT about 14 games already tying the record for a single weekend. Joe Buck mentioned right at the start of the fourth quarter when it was 14-9, to 
that, hey, here we are, game number 15, one-score game. And George Kittle had a touchdown at the back of the end zone that made it not a one-score game, but second foot, not down. So it remained a one-score game. Field goal, 17-9, one-score game until the pick six that iced it for the 49ers, even though the Rams kept going and going and going, even though the urgency wasn't there late in the game. At one point, the broadcast crew mentioned that. It's like, why are they huddling? It Doesn't that drive you crazy when you're watching a football game and kind of everybody knows, hey, you need to have greater urgency here. The clock is ticking. Get to the line of scrimmage. Call your plays there. You can't huddle. You got to act like you know and you're aware of the fact that there is limited time remaining. You're down 15 points. You've got to move the ball. But also at that point, folks are tired. Folks feel beaten down. I think at a certain level, maybe some of the Rams players realized no matter what we do, it's not going to make a difference. And that may all combine to cause you to not really have that urgency that we'd all like to see as we're watching the game because you got no chance to come back and tie it up if you're taking your time and huddling. I'm taking my time to try to filibuster through the top of the show as we wait for Chris. We don't have Chris yet, but we do have, we do have, I believe, don't toss to sound yet. We don't have sound yet either. I almost tossed a sound. We do have, okay, here we go. Both Nick Bosa, who had a big night last night, and Jimmy Garoppolo on how good that 49ers defense is. Um, that's kind of our mindset every year, and, and this year we have the personnel to do it. Not not that we haven't in the past, but um, just all th- all three levels is elite players. Um, I think the addition of of Charvarius and and Huff starting to play at this level, and obviously we're going to get Jimmy and Verrett back, which is pretty scary. Um, and then the depth on the D line, guys like Hassan and Charles and. Samson's coming on. I think he's playing his best ball of his career. Um, so it's a it's a group effort. It was honestly a point. I think it was uh, fourteen to nine, and it's not that we relaxed on offense, but you just you feel confident in the guys on defense. Those guys. I don't watch much of it, but the couple plays that I do see, it's it's hell for the quarterback, and it's just that's tough. So uh, I love having them on my side. Hate going against them in practice, but it makes us better. So that's yeah, it's a good group over there. They're tough. Seven sacks last night of Matthew Stafford, the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams. Nick Bosa had two of them. And it's funny, the way that Jimmy Garoppolo was explaining that, that's kind of the feeling we had last Sunday night when the 49ers defense was suffocating the Denver Broncos to the point where, you know, he could have played two full games and the Broncos wouldn't have scored enough points to overcome the total that the 49ers had. And then there was that drive late in the game where Russell Wilson went old school, moving around, running the ball, climbing the pocket, and the Broncos score the touchdown and the 49ers can't answer. So maybe they just realized after last Sunday night's offensive performance, the only way this team is going to achieve its goals is to have the defense take the lead and literally hold the lead because you can't trust the offense led by Jimmy Garoppolo to come from behind in crunch time. You just don't even want to get in that position. So put the clamps on them with your defense like the 49ers did. Seventh straight win by the 49ers over the Los Angeles Rams. Seventh straight win, regular season. Obviously, 
Last year, when it mattered most, the Rams beat the 49ers in the NFC Championship at seven straight times. Kyle Shanahan has gotten the better of Sean McVay. And there's always going to be that talk about Shanahan and McVay. They worked together in Washington. They became head coaches of their respective teams the same year, 2017. And Shanahan has had the better of McVay, except when they crossed paths in the postseason for a berth in the Super Bowl. That's when McVay got it, and that's when McVay ultimately won it. And I want to get Chris's take on this if we do get him at some point in the next two hours. At this point, I'm starting to wonder whether we will. But there was some chatter last night about Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff, and that Jared Goff is better, almost implying that the Rams shouldn't have traded Goff for Stafford. They wouldn't have a Super Bowl right now if they hadn't traded away Jared Goff. They wouldn't have won the Super Bowl last year with Jared Goff. They won it with Matthew Stafford. And I can't help but wonder right now whether or not Matthew Stafford has a cocktail of injuries that he's hiding from everyone. I'm not going to suggest that the team is deliberately concealing injuries, but I've had the feeling in the past that maybe Stafford keeps things to himself. I think he's said that. Either he or his wife have said that at some point during his years with the Lions. That there's a lot of stuff he just keeps to himself. So if the team doesn't even know, then they don't treat it. He's just dealing with it, not telling anybody about it. And he's not making excuses, but obviously last night the guy we saw is not going to take the Rams to the Super Bowl again and definitely not going to win the Super Bowl again. And I just feel like something isn't right with Matthew Stafford because the outcome is just not the kind of thing that we've come to expect from Matthew Stafford. Uh, The other thing I noticed too, and Michael David Smith, our managing editor at PFT, uh, tweeted this earlier today, and I want to make sure I get it right, and I'm probably not going to find it. See, usually this is when Chris would be talking and I could multitask, and I have found it. Cooper Cup per MDS is on pace for 179 catches this season, which would break the current record, shatter the current record by 30. That was Michael Thomas set in 2019. But Cup is averaging 9.6 yards per catch. The Rams receivers, other than Cooper Cup, have combined for a grand total of 26 catches through four games. See, Stafford has no one to go to other than Cup. And I don't know whether he just treats Cup as the security blanket and doesn't even bother to look for the other receivers. But there was so much hype about Allen Robinson coming into the season, and for good reason. Allen Robinson has been a good receiver with bad quarterbacks. So applying the most delicate and careful philosophy and logic to the situation, you would assume that a guy who thrives with bad quarterbacks would do better than thrive with a great quarterback, but it's just not working. And they're doing crazy things with Ben Skoranek, who's lining up as fullback, and, and he's getting things done. I don't know if Sean McVay's trying to turn Skoranek into his Kyle Juszczyk. I guess everybody needs to have a fullback whose last name you can't properly spell. But it's all Cooper Cup, and it can't be all Cooper Cup. Hey, you broke the record, but you're – you're fighting and scratching and clawing to even get a playoff berth. All four teams in the NFC West now are two and two after four weeks. And three teams in the NFC East are three and one or better, just like we all expected 
when the season began. How about the Debo Samuel catch and run for a touchdown? He had six catches for 115 yards and a score. That play was amazing. And what makes it more amazing, and, and the broadcast was very tactful about this, that ball should have been intercepted. If that ball is thrown accurately, it's picked off. Now, it's possible Jimmy Garoppolo has gone next level and decided to throw it high because he saw the pick coming. I'll believe that when I believe that, which may be never. But I do believe that this play by Debo Samuel, once he gets the ball and off he goes, this is the stuff you don't coach, you don't teach. It's just innate skill. Breaking tackles, working through where the guys aren't, and having the speed and the determination to get to the end zone. But look how close that is. If that ball is thrown lower, that is bye-bye the other way. Instead, it's bye-bye the right way for the 49ers. Um, <laughs> still no Chris. There's Jerry Rice. I don't know what he's drinking there. I, 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 I don't know. It's like a really dark beer. Or it's like Jack and Coke or something. Very curious what Jerry Rice was was celebrating the score with there in the very expensive seats at Levi's Stadium, but that's fine. He can afford it. Jimmy Garoppolo had a rough week three. We saw, and we've only made passing references to this, the lip-reading exercise from last week where it looked like Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the field said to Kyle Shanahan, presumably, all your plays suck, man. Kyle Shanahan chimed in at one point last week saying, I didn't see it. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see it. But he didn't say what you're saying. He said, well, how do you know if he didn't see it? And then Garoppolo says, I can't read lips, even though he can't read his own lips. I like to think I've never tried to read my own lips because I typically remember what I said. But if I had to read my own lips, I probably would would fare better at that than reading someone else's lips. Here's Jimmy Garoppolo on the criticism he received in the aftermath of week three and and the lip reading exercise and whether to what extent it bothered him. I mean, not really. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I, I don't know. I get a kick out of it. It's kind of funny. Um, you know, there's things like that that you're always going to be criticized. That's just the position you're in as a quarterback, as a professional athlete. And, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. Uh, you're not here for long, so you got to make it count when you can. He's got the right attitude. Just deal with it. Move on to the next one. There's always another train coming down the tracks. Hey, we stunk on Sunday night. I got frustrated. That's fine. We got a new game. We got a new day, and we won. Different vibe when you win. When you lose, you're pissed. When you win, you're happy. And the 49ers have to be happy that they're 2-2. Two and two. The Rams are 2-2. Two and two. The Cardinals are 2-2. Two and two. And the Seahawks are 2-2. Two and two. The teams are so jumbled up this year. You got one undefeated team after four weeks in the Philadelphia Eagles. And you got, I think, seven 3-1 teams right now. Maybe seven. A lot of 2-2 two and two teams. A lot of teams very much alive four weeks into the season with 13 games to go for everybody. So it's wide open in the NFC West. It's wide open in the NFC. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's take a break. And we'll see if we can pull the right wires, press the right buttons, and bring my good friend, who I'm sure is being very calm and very serene and very patient, into the program, and that is Chris Sims. Hopefully he will be with me on PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Returns right after this. Welcome back to PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Last night, the 49ers beat the Rams 24-9. Current score today on PFT Live, technology 42, Sims 0. We're still working on getting Christopher 
maybe to a new location, an undisclosed location from which there will be a functioning microphone. We will continue to work aggressively. And when I say we, I don't mean me. I'm just going to sit here and talk about football and hope and pray that Chris will be joining me sooner rather than later. I was feeling a little impish last night, as I often am, morning, noon, night, or whenever. And I was going to tweet near the end of the game, Sean McVay post-game press conference in a loud voice the entire time. This is all on me, Gary. I need to do better, Gary. It's just one game, Gary. There's a long way to go, Gary. It really isn't all that far off from what he actually said after the game. Here he is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I feel more comfortable saying it on the show than I did tweeting it, but I knew I wasn't going to carry it around with me forever. Here's Sean McVay not carrying around any frustration he may be feeling from what happened last night. The story of the night from an offensive perspective was, you know, self-inflicted wounds, um, you know, just above the neck airs where we're not doing the things that we're capable of. And I expect us to, to be better than that. Yeah, I'm not going to make any excuses. You know, we, we've got to play better. The things that we didn't do to execute, you know, you don't take away any credit from the 49ers, Jordan. Um, but a lot of it was just things that guys that we're counting on didn't do what they're supposed to do. Um, and so clearly that makes me think that I've got to do a better job and we got to do a better job as an offensive staff providing clarity to our players for as many MAs as what occurred tonight. I really want to know. This is important. This is important. This is high-level stuff. Analytics be damned. At what point in Sean McVay's life did the light bulb go off that the key to success is name repetition? Like, did someone tell him that? And if so, who? Did he go to a seminar, like a Dale Carnegie course, and... He realized, hey, name repetition is the way to get by. Or did he just kind of figure it out on his own? I'd really love to know that. Maybe one of these days I'll be in the same place as Sean McVay. I will have had a little bit of what Jerry Rice was drinking last night. And I'll say, Sean, I just got to know something. I just have to know. When, how, and where did you decide that you were going to interact with other human beings in a manner that results in you repeating their names all the time because you know that makes them feel good about you? Because that's what it is. That's what it is. It's a game. It's, and, and that's fine. He cares enough to make people feel good. So I, I can't fault him for it, but it is, it is a thing, and it is something that he's learned, and it's something that he does, and it's something that he realizes will be more likely to make people like him than dislike him. Unlike what I'm doing now, which is going to be, the person who is the subject of this conversation more likely to dislike me, but we're very real and authentic here, and we just tell you what is really going on. And I think most of us have figured it out because we hear it, you know, all the time. But he only had one Jordan there. I assume that was Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic instead of Gary Klein of The LA Times. So only one in that clip. He's off a little bit because they lost last night. When they win, I wonder if they've done a study. When they win, is there more name repetition than when they lose? Um, I'm sure they don't want to repeat what happened last night. As McVeigh said, too many self-inflicted wounds on themselves. 32 for 48 was Matthew Stafford with 254 yards passing, an interception and a fumble. That pick six was deadly. 16 sacks so far this season. Leading the league, Stafford is, with six interceptions. And in the fourth quarter, you don't get back to the Super Bowl with this. Outscored 44 to three in the fourth quarter this year that 
is not good, obviously. That speaks to a failure of the entire organization. Yeah, you know, we, we've seen it for years. I remember it started back in the 70s. I remember seeing it at, like, high school football games. Fourth quarter. Everybody hold up the four fingers. Fourth quarter. It's time to suck it up. This is the time to go get it. This is the time to go win the game. This is when you determine and separate victors from losers. This is when it happens. The Rams are outscored 44-3 in four games this year in the fourth quarter. So how'd they win two games? How are they two and two with that kind of a margin in quarter number four when it's crunch time and you're going to be playing at your very best? Because you know the other team is aware as well that it's time to go take the victory. So I mentioned Allen Robinson earlier. He was targeted six times. He had two catches for seven yards. That is just not good enough. They miss Robert Woods. They miss OBJ. Something that popped up last night during the broadcast, but not as part of the broadcast. Josina Anderson of CBS reported initially. She retreated quickly. She clarified quickly. And then Ralph Vacchiano, now with Fox Sports, formerly with SNY, confirmed the exact factual reality here. Odo Beckham Jr. was in the Giants building yesterday, but he wasn't there to meet with coaches or executives. He was there to primarily visit Sterling Shepard, who had that non-contact ACL tear last Monday night in the game between the Cowboys and the Giants. It wasn't an official visit. It doesn't get recorded as an official visit. There's no sign that the Giants are courting him. However, they could use him. They clearly need help at receiver. With Shepard injured, Kadarius Toney not living up to his first-round pedigree, Kenny Galladay not living up to his big-money free agent contract, they could use OBJ. They're 3-1. and one. Now, I don't think they're going to stand the test of time. The Giants are kind of a how-in-the-hell-are-they-3-and-one, 3-and-one, frankly, and they don't have healthy quarterbacks right now. But OBJ... And I've been saying this for months. The Rams are just kind of holding him off. They're, they're waiting for the right time to bring in OBJ. They don't want to pay him until they can use him. They're going to screw around here, potentially. And I've been saying this since June. They're going to potentially screw around and lose out on OBJ. And the, the point that Josina Anderson made, because initially her tweet made it sound like there was a, a formal visit. Then it was it was... Well, he just checked in on some friends, but she concluded her second tweet with a very important point. He's looking for a team that will show him the love. That's what he said last year about the Rams. When he got cut by the Browns at his request, worked out the guaranteed money for the rest of the year, gave some money up so he could become a free agent, several teams swirling around, but it was the Rams who put on the full court press, showed him the love, and they closed the deal. Now he's waiting for that similar type of a thing, and it's apparently not enough to have a locker with his name on it at the Rams training facility. At this point, he just wants someone to come get him. Now, he also, I think, is in a very, and I've said this before, a useful and advantageous position where he can sit and wait and and see where the separation is going to be, wait for the key injury that drives up his value as his knee continues to heal from the non-contact ACL tear that he suffered last year in Super Bowl 56. But the Rams need him. The Rams clearly need him. And even if he's not ready, at some point, the Rams just have to say, and you know what? Maybe OBJ's being a little shrewd here. 
maybe OBJ knows if the Rams start thinking I'm looking elsewhere. They'll just finally do this thing. When are they going to do this thing? Hey, Rams, you need me. Even if I'm not healthy, you need me in the building. You need me around. You need me to be ready. Let's do this thing. Let's do this. The sooner they get him in the building and know that they have dibs on him, you get him ready to play, and then he comes in and he makes a difference because if they're going to pay a lot of attention to Cooper Cup, and at some point, what are they just going to – I guess you don't need to worry about taking Cooper Cup away. If the Cooper Cup-centric game plan doesn't lead to wins for the Rams, sure, throw to him all day long. Keep throwing to him. You're not going to beat us by throwing to him. Go ahead. We're not going to double him. We're just going to cover everybody else. So you have to keep throwing it to him, and we'll just go tackle him after he catches it and not let him get behind us. That's it. There are some stats that are just amazing about the games when they focus on Cooper Cup. When he's targeted 15 or more times, they're 1-5. and five. So the Cooper Cup only offense doesn't work. Works for him. Great stats. Doesn't get wins. They need OBJ. Now, they need him on the field. But before he's on the field, he needs to be in the building. They need to get him in the building. We have Chris in the building. We just don't have the ability to hear Chris. And I know that we don't have him yet. But I'll go ahead and do this because I'm in kind of a good mood today. Maybe it's because I don't have to listen to Chris. I don't know. I'll have to analyze all of that when the program is over. But I'm going to go ahead and take another break, and we're going to cross our fingers and our toes, and we're going to hope that when I come back, for the good of the audience, you won't have to just listen to me. You'll be able to hear the dulcet tones of Christopher David Sims. Hold your breath, make a wish, pluck an eyelash, and blow it into the breeze, and we'll see if we have Chris when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. This is something that uh, it's too early to give a definite um, timeline. I, I can comfortably say that he, he'll be out for this game um, against the Jets. But anything beyond that, um, we're uh, again, we're just focused on making sure he's at optimal health and then crossing that bridge. So it's a little early um, for definitive timelines beyond that. That's Mike McDaniel, Dolphins head coach. Here we are, PFC Live, presented by Google Pixel. There was a time in the life cycle of the concussion protocol where coaches never even addressed player return dates from concussion, whether they would be back, wouldn't be back. It just wasn't talked about. And I think if you look into the nooks and crannies of the concussion protocol, there's still language in there that says you're not supposed to talk about it. Now, the problem is, Coaches started to talk about it. Nobody said don't talk about it. So it's just kind of evolved to they talk about it. But the way that it was first set up, it's just not even an issue. It's completely disconnected from anything the coach discusses. It's out of the coach's hands. And the fact that two has already been scratched for week five against the Jets, it just is the latest indication of how 
politics, not politics in the traditional sense, small p politics, the organizational dynamics, the league office, how just all the stuff that's going on around this already makes it clear they're not going to put this kid back on the field, even if he would pass all tests and protocols and be fine by Sunday. Too much has happened to even dare let this kid play. And that's the right call. We've had possibly a concussion that allowed him to nevertheless pass all protocols except for are you able to stand up and walk away from the spot where you hit your head. And then we had what we saw last Thursday night. So it's smart. It's prudent. They're not going to put him back out there until he knows that he's 100% healthy. And Jay Glazer of Fox mentioned over the weekend that Tua is getting other opinions about concussions. And Jay didn't get into the details here. But look, there's a point. And I want to have this conversation with Chris at some point. Maybe we'll have it later in the week. Maybe he'll be on here. At some of them, they moved to. Apparently, there's some box into which the microphone cords go where the box is just dead. What's in the box? Nothing. That's what's in the box. It's not working. So they're putting him in another spot. But I said this on WQAM Miami with Joe Rose, who's on the Dolphins broadcast team. And Joe made the point that the hit Tua took on Thursday night, you just got to get rid of the football and not take that hit. And that's one of the things that we hear preached to quarterbacks all the time. Get rid of the ball so you don't get hit. And when you are, and I'm not saying Tua should be disqualified from playing in the NFL, but when you aren't 6'5", when you are built kind of like me, frankly, when you're built like Drew Brees, you got to protect yourself and you got to get rid of the football so you don't get whipsawed to the ground, get ragdolled to the ground. I heard Chris saying this on Sunday through the – the video conference that we have set up because I was home again this weekend. Six, five guys don't get ragdolled to the ground. So there is, and I don't want to say an obligation. We've heard a lot about the obligation on the player to self-report. And I think that's kind of bunk because it doesn't mesh with the realities of the sport, the way it's currently constituted, where if you step aside and someone else steps in, you may lose your job and never get it back again. But, There is an obligation to protect yourself. And if you can't protect yourself when you're on a field with guys who are 6'4", 300 pounds, chasing you around within the limits of the rules, trying to hit you with the full force of their bodies, and you're 6'190", or whatever the true stats are, the true demographics on two, and I've been around him. He's not – I mean, the first time I was ever at like an NFL thing, like the Super Bowl in Tampa – 2009 and you see Dan Marino or Boomer Esiason it's like holy shit they're giants where'd you come from and you've got guys playing quarterback in the NFL who are normal sized now you've got guys chasing them who aren't normal sized you've got to protect yourself and that's a big part of this I think in the coaching of Tua and in the self-awareness that he has to have about whether and to what extent he can protect himself on a football field with other giants. It's admirable to have a little guy out there, a normal-sized guy who just happens to be little in relation to all the other guys who are chasing him. But if you can't protect yourself, you got a problem. And I think that's something that we need to cons- uh, consider and that Tua needs to consider as he gets ready to come back at some point. Teddy Bridgewater gets the start. 
this weekend against the Jets. Skylar Thompson, who was very impressive during the preseason, is floating around. And maybe if Teddy struggles, who knows? We know if Teddy gets injured, it's going to be Skylar Thompson. But the Dolphins trying now to continue on a successful start to the season. Obviously, it's been clouded by the Tua situation. But they are 3-1, and one, and they're going to try to get to 4-1 and one by beating the surprisingly 2-2 two and two Jets. The investigation continues regarding the handling of the situation with Tua Tagovailoa week three against the Buffalo Bills. One of the things, and I mentioned this yesterday, but one of the things I'm very curious about, and I've yet to have anyone say to me, you're barking up the wrong tree here. It's kooky talk. It's stupid, like your usual stuff. No one's saying that. When I say, did the doctors who went through the checklist, remember, Union wants to get away from the checklist approach. This isn't about checking boxes and saying go play. This is about treating a patient as a human being, not as a football player. Is it in the best interest of this human being to go play football right now? Full contact tackle football. Is it in this person's best interest? In the process of checking the boxes, with everything they do when they take the guy into the locker room for a full concussion assessment, did anybody bother to watch the video? The concussion protocol requires that the doctors, and remember, it's the team physician in consultation with the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who make the decision here on whether or not the guy comes back. Did they, those two individuals, watch the video? They're required to do it, and one of the issues being examined in the investigation is whether they actually did. Wouldn't that be something if they didn't? Now, Look, the NFLPA decided to fire the UNC for a reason. We don't know the specifics. What was reported by NFL media is failed to understand his role and was hostile during the investigation. Well, there's a lot of ways you can fail to understand your role. And if his role is you watch the video of what happened on the field and he failed to understand that, that would tend to answer the question. But, boy, that'll be something. Let me tell you, if the two doctors responsible for putting this guy back out in harm's way, didn't watch the video of the gross motor instability. I mean, there's been all this debate over, well, it was his head, it was his back, it was this, it was that, what is it, what is it? And, of course, the union's position is it doesn't matter. The guy's stumbling around out there, he shouldn't go back in the game. If the doctors never saw the video of the guy stumbling around, holy crap, they got a problem. And I think the Dolphins end up with a new team physician and maybe an entirely new medical staff if that ends up being the result in the investigation. They've promised us transparency. We'll see. And remember, they're talking to Tua this week. And I I said this on Football Night in America on Sunday. One of the things they're going to ask him is, if you told them it was your back, what did they do to examine your back? What did they do? Did they examine your back? And how did they come to the conclusion that you were okay to go back into the game with a back injury that caused you to go wobbly and almost fall down? Because that's not safe either. That's the union's position. Whatever it was that caused him to do what we all saw should have kept him out of the rest of the game. So in the union's mind, it's much simpler than what it's been made to be. Is it the head? Is it the back? Is it this? That doesn't matter. What we saw, the reaction, the wobbliness, being held up by a teammate, that's enough to get you sidelined for the rest of the game for your own good. Even if you want to play, you're sidelined for your own good. Sunday night. There was an incident involving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it didn't get a lot of attention at the time. I think because we all assumed that Buccaneers tight end Cameron Brait was properly evaluated for a concussion. 
when he went to the sideline after banging his head into Chris Godwin. Here it is, late in the first half, minute 35 to go. You see Cameron Brait inadvertently slam into Chris Godwin. He is on the ground. He gets up slowly. And they're in the two-minute offense here. So if there's any issue with Cameron Brait, it's get off the field and let's get a guy on the field because we got to keep going here. We're trying to get down the field and score points. And they actually got flagged because Cameron Brait – it's clearly – he hit his head into Chris Godwin. Clearly. Clear and obvious. That's the standard we hear all the time when it comes to replay review. It's clear and obvious he hit his head into Chris Godwin. So they get flagged for too many men on the field because he doesn't make it off before they snap the ball. Cameron Brait's on the sideline. Mike Tirico pointing out the obvious. They're going to check him out. Right? A few plays later, he's back in. And he's involved. Threw a pass to him in the end zone. Pass interference. Buccaneers got the ball first and goal at the one. Didn't hit his head on that play as he went to the ground, fortunately. Had another play where threw it high in the back of the end zone, jumped up to get it, didn't hit his head there, fortunately. Because, as it turns out, he did have a head injury. He did. Because he didn't return for the second half as he entered the concussion protocol. Coach Dungy was, if you watch Football Night in America, and if you did, thank you very much, he and Maria Taylor were on site because it's kind of a big deal. Buccaneers and Chiefs, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And Coach Dungy texted me yesterday morning, go back and watch this Cameron Brait play. I was right there. I saw what happened. He never should have gone back in the game. Why was he back in the game? Isn't this exactly what they're trying to avoid? And it is because, remember, second impact syndrome. Look it up. We wrote something about it the other day. That's how high school players, not every time a high school player dies, that's the reason, but that's the concern. That's the impetus for the Zachary Leistat law that the NFL was instrumental in having all states pass to require that any high school player that has a concussion is kept out of action until that person is fully able to return and recovered from the concussion. Because if you have one brain injury and then you have a second one before the first one is resolved, you can have a catastrophic outcome that results in death. So we had Cameron Braid out there back out on the field with a head injury that was undiagnosed. That's exactly the kind of thing that needs to be avoided. So I reached out to the Buccaneers yesterday morning to say, hey, can you explain to me what happened here? And I was told, well, we're looking into it. Coach Bowles is going to address the media later today, and he'll presumably address it then. So here is Todd Bowles, head coach of the Buccaneers, on the question of how Cameron Brait got back into the game after he clearly and obviously struck his head into the torso of Chris Godwin late in the second quarter. He went on the sideline. Uh, he complained of shoulder discomfort, nothing about his head. He was checked out three times. He just said, give him a minute. Nothing came up. He went back in until the end of the half. At halftime, he started having symptoms. Obviously, they were delayed, and he started complaining about that. They tested him. He's in the protocol, and we kept him out the rest of the game. Like I said, he complained of shoulder discomfort. He said nothing about his head on the sideline. Nobody called down. He was checked out three times, but he went back in until the end of the half. The concussion thing didn't come up until halftime. He had delayed symptoms. Like I said, he complained about his shoulder, not his head. You can't see a neurologist or talk about concussions if you're only complaining about your shoulder. It came up at halftime where he starts saying, I have symptoms about his head. So when you say your shoulder's hurting, you need a second for your shoulder, nobody's really checking out your head. And then you go back in and you find out at halftime 
that you have symptoms in your head, then you go concussion, concussion protocol. That's all you can do, really. I mean, we're not experts when you say it's about the shoulder. It was a noticeable hit, but again, it was on the shoulder. Nobody said nothing about the head. He got checked out three times. He said he just needed a minute to, for his shoulder to clear up, and that was it. I, I'm not blaming Todd Bowles for this, although I think he needs to better understand the protocol because the NFL goes out of its way to make sure we understand the protocol. And I've got the document that I've received from the NFL, and I should have brought it up here with me today. The protocol is very simple. It's a flow chart. It activates with a blow to the head, obviously. Then it's an either or that initiates the assessment of the player at a minimum in the blue tent or in some circumstances back in the locker room. If the player reports or exhibits symptoms, activate it. And what Todd Bowles is saying in that mashup of his various answers from yesterday's press conference, because the reporters, to their credit, kept asking him about it, because this is another one of those, we all saw it. We all know what happened. How did this outcome transpire that the guy's back in the game just a few plays after he suffered a blow to the head that ultimately resulted in him being placed in the concussion protocol once they got a chance to take a look at it? So, so Todd Bowles is right. Okay, the player doesn't say he's got an issue, and these are all the plays of when he was back in the game. Down the middle, pass interference, didn't hit his head, thank God. Back of the end zone. Jumped up, didn't hit his head. Could have hit his head on the goalpost. Thank God for that because he already had a head injury that was undiagnosed. So the player reporting or demonstrating symptoms is just part of it. There's an either or. And there are, and I've got the full list here, and I'm going to rattle off the names of all the people who have a button they can press to stop everything and get the guy checked. Certified athletic trainer on the sideline can stop the button and get everything checked. The ATC in the booth, the spotter, the person who is up there, the eye in the sky, that person can stop everything and get the person checked for a concussion. Team doctor has a hand on the button. Any of the coaches, Todd Bowles or anyone else, has a hand on the button. Any player, any player on the field has a hand on the button. Now, It's not their obligation, but they have the power to do it. Any game official, any of the folks in black and white stripes can stop the game. The unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant that's on the sideline can do it. The UNC in the booth can do it. So you've got, think about this, because think about what we all saw. And then think about all those categories of people I've just explained to you, including, most importantly, the two in the booth, the certified athletic trainer and the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant in the booth watching the game. And one of the concerns when they came up with this whole spotter concept is you're going to have all sorts of action away from the play that you may just not notice. Well, that doesn't apply here because the guy who caught the pass, let's play that. You're watching the game, I assume. I assume you're not, you know, checking Twitter or reading a newspaper, smoking a cigarette, watching something that was on TV on Sunday night because you're just kind of bored by the game. 
but but if we can cue up the play. This is the this is the game. If you're watching the game, that's what you saw. You saw Cameron Bright's head hit the torso of Chris Godwin. So this is a failure of the system. Coach Dungey called it a broken system yesterday. I call it a failure of the system. I don't think the system's broken, but it wasn't operational like the microphones in our PCR6, if that's even still the name of it. This is a failure of the system. Head hits Chris Godwin. And don't give me this shit that it was his shoulder. And, that, and I don't want to hear. I'm still waiting for an on-the-record response from the NFL as to what happened here. I don't want an off-the-record response. I want an on-the-record response. And the on-the-record response better not be, it was his shoulder. It wasn't his shoulder. And if we care at all about the men who play the game and their families and the integrity of the concussion protocol, this is where you set aside whatever the consequences may be. And you say, you know what? We screwed up here. And, and yeah, you know, we... Yeah, we did screw up in the first primetime game that was played after what we saw with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. That's how inept this process can be at times, and we're committed to fixing it. But that's exactly what happened. Coach Dungey and I had a phone conversation about this last night, and it dawned on me. And this is basic organizational dynamics and common sense. The first primetime game played after the one in which we saw the horrific scenes of Tua Tonga-Vailoa with the fencing posture being stretchered, not carted, but stretchered off the field, spending the rest of the game holding our breaths, waiting for news that Tua would be okay from a brain standpoint. It was a big deal that he had motion in his extremities, and that's good. No neck injury. But that doesn't tell me his brain's fine. We waited until the end of the game to hear that his brain was fine, that he was discharged from the hospital and he was going to return to Miami. But the very first primetime game, National Football League, come on. you got to do better. And I know you're not going to be happy with me, but I don't care. If you care about your men, you're going to take this to heart, and you're going to try to get better. Your first primetime game after what we saw with Tua, how do you not go to everybody involved and say, hey, we got to have our shit tightened up tonight. we got, we got to do this right. Any doubt, get them out. When in doubt, get them out. And – the one thing I reflect on, because Coach Madden used to get very upset about any inefficiencies in the operation of the protocol. I heard stories over the years. And his attitude was, if these people that we've hired to do this job can't do it, get them out and replace them with people who can do the job. Too much is at stake to let people who have their heads up their asses, frankly, in these positions. You got two in the booth, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, certified athletic trainer in the booth watching the game, presumably. I don't know, maybe they're playing tic-tac-toe. Because anybody who was watching the game saw Cameron Brait's head hit the torso of Chris Godwin, and he should have been out at that point for a full concussion evaluation. And then he would have been placed in the protocol because that's what happened at halftime. I, I, it's astounding to me. And you know what? This isn't a bigger deal. It should be. Because at a time when the NFL should be as sensitive to the concussion protocol as it has ever been since the protocol was adopted under duress of Congress 13 years ago this month. If they were ever going to be sensitive about it, it was in the primetime game next played after what we saw with Tua. Now, it should have been sensitive to it all day long. I mean, this message that should have gone out to everyone applies to every game from London to the 1 o'clock window to the 4 o'clock window to primetime, but especially in primetime when 20 million people are watching. And 20 million people saw Cam Brate hit his head and get back in the game. 
that, that and maybe it is broken. Maybe it's all just window dressing and PR spin. And at the end of the day, there ain't a damn thing they can do in real time to change the nature of football. Well, they better try. They better try. Because let me tell you something. I, 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 look, we all should care about the players as human beings. And it's hard to do that. It's one of the themes of playmakers. You got you got these guys in armor and and they're they, they you know they're they're like superheroes and they're fine. They're indestructible. No, they're human beings and they suffer the same injuries the rest of us do, and we have to care about their concussions. But they ever get they ever get one of these outcomes where somebody dies on the field? It's done. It's done. We're not going to all rush back and watch the games the following week. Apart from the human concern, if you have concern for the game, you don't want to be in a position where under the watch and the umbrella and the shield of the NFL, someone died on the field. The state-of-the-art medical care, supposedly, all the efforts they're taking to put the best measures in place that trickle down to lower levels of the sport, if they can't get their house in order... I don't, I don't want to consider the consequences because I like my job. So, folks, let's get our act together. Let's take care of these human beings who happen to be wearing football pads and helmets, and let's apply these protocols. And when there's a mistake, let's not circle the wagons and tell lies. Oh, it was his shoulder. It wasn't his shoulder. It was his head, and we all know it. And we better do something about it. Or there's going to be a big problem in the National Football League. All right, we're going to continue to try to rectify the problems we have at Christmas Microphone. Let's take a break. And maybe... When PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues, we'll have Chris Sims. We'll be right back. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people.